Hello and welcome to the Money Magpie podcast. I'm Jasmine Bertles, founder of Money Magpie, and today I'm joined by Nick Hubble, who's the editor of the Fortune and Freedom newsletter, which I'm a big fan of. And I'm talking to Nick because he is, as far as I'm concerned, the man who has the global view. He's half German, half English. He lives in Australia. He has lived in Japan. He's married to a Japanese lady. He's lived in the UK. He's lived in Ireland. He's lived in Germany. He's lived all over. So, Nick, great to see you. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure, and thanks for the introduction. Um, So the big story in the UK is inflation and as far as we're concerned we've got it worse than anybody else but i don't think that's quite true is it what is the situation with inflation in different countries apart from the uk yeah inflation is definitely global it's especially bad in europe because of the russian energy situation and the sanctions on russia and the ukraine war but it is very much global the pandora's box has been opened and it's interesting to see that even within europe the inflation rates diverging quite a lot Um, And so the UK is sort of in the higher half of of the inflation rates within Europe, but by no means top of the list. And it's also been interesting to see the lag with which different countries have had this inflation problem. So in a lot of places, it's only just getting started, which is quite extraordinary. In some places, it took off very rapidly early on. Uh, And those differences have, have caused quite a bit of a stir because, of course, within each country, the, the, the media, I suppose, like to blame the local authorities for what's been a global problem, um, which just doesn't pass muster if you think about the fact that it's global. Uh, and so you have to wonder, well, what is the, the thing that's happened internationally that's brought on inflation, rather than blaming that the local authorities, uh, whether it's the government or the central bank or whoever, you know, the, the, the uh, international conflict with Russia. And as far as I can tell, it's the response to the pandemic that's fueled the inflation. Um, it's definitely provided the fuel for the fire. You could say that the Russian situation was the spark, but inflation did take off before uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. Yeah, and this I think is something that, as you say, um, we're, we're not really being told clearly. Um, in this country, they're very much blaming Ukraine and saying, you know, that, that it's all that fault. But as you say, it started off earlier. So uh, certainly, as you say, it's something that, that is global. But are there any countries that didn't respond in the same way as, for example, Britain, just closing everything down, printing money like it's going out of fashion? Are there any countries that you can see did it differently and have a different experience now? Not really. That's a great question. Not really. I can't think of any. Um, All the developed countries definitely followed much the same path. They've responded to the inflation that's happened in very different ways, um, which has been absolutely fascinating. But the actual inflationary, um, uh, what I would say was the cause of the inflationary burst we've had, that response has been quite similar globally, um, which basically was that central bankers panicked and flooded the world with lots of newly created money and governments uh, borrowed lots of that money and spent it. Uh, and that is what pushed prices up initially before the Ukraine crisis. Um, and it's what added fuel that then the Ukraine crisis really turned into a bonfire, especially in Europe. You're saying that some of the countries have responded in a different way. Which ones would you say are, well, different from the UK, for example? Yeah, so that's where this gets extremely interesting. So it reminds me actually of, of during the pandemic when within each country, the authorities were saying, we're following the science, we're doing what the scientists say. Um, And every country in the world was facing the same threat. 
But the policies that were actually followed by governments were completely different. So anyone who was paying attention to the international news or who was actually moving around the world um, noticed that the response was completely different, even though the threat was the same. And this suggested that actually governments didn't really know what they were doing because if they were all following the same science, they would have had the same policy. And it's much the same with the inflation threat. Governments and central banks don't know what they're dealing with. And that's become quite obvious because the policy response that they've been pursuing to fight the inflation that I would say they've caused has been completely different. So in Europe, I think it was the uh, European Central Bank president, Christine Lagarde, she recently said that in the inflation came out of nowhere. Now, if she wants to know where it came from, she should look <laughs> in the mirror as far as I'm concerned. But the point is, it's her job to manage the inflation and she doesn't even know where it came from. Uh, in Australia, the central bank promised to keep interest rates low until 2024 because they were so sure that inflation would not start. And they also said that for inflation to start, wages would have to go up. Now, inflation did go up and wages didn't go up. So they don't know anything to do with inflation. Don't know where it comes from, don't know, where it, you know when it's going to spike, what causes it, what to do about it. They've got no idea and they've had to apologize for that because lots of people borrowed lots of money um, based on the promise that they wouldn't hike interest rates until 2024, and they did. In the UK, they've been quite slow. They've been sort of in the middle of the response to, to inflation. They have raised interest rates a bit, but they had a, a, basically a meltdown in the government bond market, which basically means the government couldn't borrow money for, for cheap enough. Uh, and so they had to reverse their policies pretty quickly. Um, in America, they've led the way on tightening interest rates. They've done it quite quickly. Uh, and that's why their financial markets had an absolute crash this year, um, up to about, I think it was June or July. It was the worst year for US investors ever once you adjust for inflation, including during the Great Depression. So it, it's just madness. And that's just the West. In, in other countries that we don't follow as closely, like Japan, they've decided that they're not even going to focus on inflation. They're just going to try and make sure the government can borrow money cheaply and they're going to try and keep their currency stable because that's more important than inflation. So everyone's sort of got, gone off on completely different tangents and completely different routes to try and fight what is the same problem of inflation. And, and again, I think that suggests that they've got no idea what they're doing, um, which, I mean, that's not like controversial anymore, given the fact that they did let inflation get out of the box in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, on, on the science, following the science thing, it, it reminds me of um, Andrew Bailey, the governor of the Bank of England, who said uh, a few months ago, um, the science is settled. Inflation is not created by, by printing more money. And I was shouting at the television going, yes, it is. <laughs> it does feel like anybody, anybody who says the science is settled, you know, is then going to come out with something really inane. Um, but, you know, you're, you're talking about you mentioned currency as well, because that's another issue. Um, not so much talked about um, in the media, but talked about by quite a lot of investors, because it does look like a few of the major currencies, sterling, euro, dollar, yen, are dying really i mean what what do you feel is the situation there are they dying if so which one's going to go first do you think so the situation on the currencies is quite misleading because basically every currency in fact the price of, of any given thing oil currencies gold whatever it might be it's all priced in us dollars so over the last few uh about uh, almost exactly a year now um the us dollar has surged in value against everything which is exactly the same thing as saying the value of everything's crashed against the US dollar. So I don't know, it's sort of a chicken and egg, which is the one that's on the move. I would suggest that it's the US dollar that's gone up, making everything else look like it's gone down. 
the reason for the US dollar rising is because the, the US central bank was the first to hike interest rates as fast as it did, uh, making the US dollar very popular. So the fact that it's all of the different currencies around the world except the US dollar that have gone down, with the exception of the Russian ruble, ironically enough, uh, suggests that it's the US dollar that's on the move, not everything else. Um, that said, the yen did crash quite badly and un unusually badly. Uh, the pound did briefly at one point as well. Um, both of those based on individual policy um, issues. So th there are things on the move. But the way to think about this that's most helpful is that governments and central banks, uh, they, they have lots of policy tools. They have lots of things they can do. But no matter which one they choose, it causes a new problem to pop up somewhere else. So if they decide the uh, exchange rate is very important, it's like a game of whack-a-mole. They, they whack the, uh, the exchange rate yes. and then it just makes the inflation pop up and they whack the inflation and that makes interest rates move and they whack the interest rates and that makes, you know, we go back to the exchange rate crashing. And so whatever they try and do, there's always a trade-off. That's what economics is really all about. The idea that no matter what policy you pursue, it's not really about the perfect outcome. It's about trade-offs. Something good happens, something bad happens and trying to weigh the two. And uh, in the case of exchange rates, interest rates, and inflation, it's, it's, it's three, three different challenges and trying to navigate the three of them is, as far as I'm concerned, it's impossible. They, they can't do it. Um, and they've created a big problem. And now, you know, all of the, the game of whack-a-mole is getting incredibly fast and they're, they're going crazy trying to whack all these different whack-a-moles. And, and it, you know, the problems keep popping up. That's why we have things like crashes in the UK bond market or double-digit inflation or the yen crashing. Or, each week, there seems to be some sort of new crisis um, that's popping up that central bankers and governments are having to fight the fire on. And I think if investors take a step back and look at all of those and start to realize the nature of the game that's being played here uh, and the fact that it's inherently going to continue, then you're really understanding what's going on. So what is the nature of the game? I mean, you're, you're saying it is essentially whack-a-mole because, I, you know, I agree. As, you, as soon as you sort of fiddle around with interest rates, you've got a problem here and in all this what what is the game and how do we play it is there a way that we can play it and win um, rather than just losing all the time which is the way it feels at the moment yeah it's unusually difficult to try and win right now because we're at the end of a really long cycle i think we're at the end of it uh, could continue for a bit longer where the the narrative that gets fed to us is that central banks control the economy by raising and lowering interest rates and that's how they manage inflation but if you think about that that, own, that means they control the economy via the amount of debt that people borrow because the interest rate is the price of borrowing, right? Well, we're at the point where for, for many decades, they've increased the amount of debt to try and stimulate the economy by lowering interest rates. But there's only so much you can borrow, right? There's only so much people can be, I would say, tricked into borrowing by having the central bank lower interest rates ever more, ever more, ever more. So we're at the end of a debt cycle. And at the end of a debt cycle, there's two ways out, either inflation or default. So you either say you're not going to pay back the debt, uh, just as an economy generally, companies, individuals, or governments, they say, we can't, we can't repay this debt. Or so much money is created by the, the central bank that money basically becomes worth less and that makes debt easier to repay. So people might remember uh, in the 70s, they had mortgages in, in the tens of thousands of pounds, which to us now today sounds incredibly cheap, but at the time it was quite expensive. What's happened over time is inflation has inflated away that the value of that debt, making it easier to repay. Uh, and so that could happen again in the future, where in the future people's mortgages might be denominated in the millions of pounds, which today sounds impossible to repay, but in the future it could be 
quite cheap. So those are the two ways out. And so I think the inflation that we've had may actually be a deliberate policy by central banks to try and help the economy, especially governments, pay off their debt in an indirect way. Um, that implies that it's a good time to be a borrower. But if central bankers get it wrong, which they have given how much inflation we've had, then they have to try and rein in the inflation and raise interest rates, which makes borrowing very dangerous again. Um, so it's like uh, the, the, um, the central bankers are on the, the tightrope and on one side is inflation, on the one side is a debt crisis. And they're sort of wobbling back and forth and investors are, are trying to adjust their investment positions uh, based on which way central bankers will fall off. Um, I think inevitably they'll fall off eventually. And I, I don't know which side it's going to be on yet. Um, you know, the wobbling back and forth is very entertaining. It's a total nightmare for investors to figure out what to do. And there's not many investments that perform reasonably in both environments. Well, quite, you know, I'm thinking gold, I'm thinking commodities at the moment. Are, are those still, do you think, good ones to, to run to for safety? Yeah, they're top of my list. Commodities are tough because the, they do rely on the economy doing well. Um, gold is sort of an opt-out from the economy and the financial system. So if there's lots of inflation, gold should hold its purchasing power. If there's a debt crisis, well, you, nobody can default on your gold. It's not like a share or a bond yeah. uh, where someone can, you, you're not relying on someone else when you own gold, um, which makes it more valuable during a crisis. Uh, those are two of the options. Um, I think the best piece of advice is to remain very nimble. Uh, so you can adjust based on what starts to occur. And there's lots of financial assets and real assets that don't allow you to be nimble. So, for example, owning properties is not going to allow you to be very nimble. So um, I think that's an important thing that people can, can take on board is to try and invest in things that allow them to change their position relatively quickly should we figure out what is going to happen. Um, for, for example, historically speaking, when inflation does get out of hand to the extent that it has, it tends to do it at least twice. So during the 70s, we had two spikes in inflation. During the 40s, we had several. I can't remember how many off the top of my head. Um, it hasn't happened before that we've just had the one spike in inflation and then it goes away again. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So there's, a, there's at least some wobbles to go. Based, I mean, two examples throughout history doesn't necessarily make a convincing case, but I think people need to be aware of the fact that usually it comes back. Yeah, that's the way it, it feels. Well, thank you, Nick. That's really, really helpful. Great to talk to you. I will let you go to bed now because I know it's it's late in Australia. <laughs> thank you so much for the help. Um, Nick Hubble, as I said, is the editor of the Fortune and Freedom newsletter. Uh, you can sign up for free for that at fortuneandfreedom.com or, of course, sign up to the Money Magpie newsletter and, in fact, not just or, and sign up to the Money Magpie newsletter at moneymagpie.com. And remember to like and share this video if you enjoyed it. If you didn't, lovely to see you anyway. Thank you.